kind of beer do you like? Heineken? Fuck that shit! Pap's Blue Ribbon! Whose blood is that? Is that your blood? No. Fuck you, man. Welcome to the Dead Harvey Podcast. This is the podcast for both indie horror filmmakers and fans. Our goal here is to help indie horror filmmakers by talking about what's going on out there and highlighting how other people have made it and giving you tools to get your project done or just giving you ideas on what you should be doing. And of course, the other side is we want more people watching indie horror. So that's why we talk about all these cool projects and all these different films we find and why we think they're cool because hopefully that gets your mind thinking, I need to watch this shit. So if that sounds good to you, please go to deadharvey.com. You can join our e-newsletter. You'll follow us on social, subscribe to the podcast. Also, we want to hear from you. So shoot us an email. You can find all that info on how to contact us on the website, but we want to hear, you know, your what you're up to if you have any projects going on and uh, we also want to know what you want us to talk about because hey we are open to what's going on out there so um yeah deadharvey.com check us out and today we're going to talk about avant-garde experimental films because both of us unbeknownst to each other checked out fried berry and uh we were talking about how that was a pretty cool movie mm-hmm. um and you know, thinking about the history, because it's definitely an avant-garde experimental film. And, uh, and you don't see too many of them because they're not really commercially viable, usually. Yeah. Uh, but you and I both love a whole bunch of weird-ass shit. So we yeah. thought this is a... Yeah, so we thought we'd kind of dedicate this one to talking about A, Fried Berry, because everyone should check it out. It's, it's a fucked-up movie. And then talking about, you know, some of the influences that they probably had and influences on us on experimental film. So first off, Fried Berry, uh, I'll, I'll throw it over to you because we're, we're both going to talk about it. But what did okay. you think? Fried Berry, I actually loved it, this movie. I thought it was great. Um, but one of, the, one of the main reasons is because uh, it's just in it, like I just saw there was a new movie they put on HBO Max. It was this Angelina Jolie movie where and it was just it was called uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead or something along those lines. I got like halfway through it and I'm like. It's the same freaking movie I've seen a million times over. And it's just like th- these kind of things, you don't see them. Hollywood has taken, it takes them so long to do anything experimental or risky. And when they do, they've already done it long after somebody else, like on the lower budget side, has broken ground for them. And then they're still hesitant to do anything new, just turning out the same thing over and over again. So I watched that movie and then kind of like just gave up on that. And I was like, I'll oh, maybe watch the rest of that later. But I didn't have any really interested in it. And then I watched Friberry and I was like, this is great. What I really dug about it is that it's super weird. Now it does not really have much of a structure at all whatsoever, this movie, but it, it keeps like upping the ante on its weirdness and keeps you engaged with it. So a lot of the movies that don't have, that are weird, but don't have structure can lose you on the experimental side. But if they don't up the ante on the weirdness or keep, keep throwing new things at you to watch or just become repetitive, then I tune out. But this movie kept just throwing more weird stuff. So this is about like an alien or this, yeah. but this is about a guy who was a drug addict and he definitely looks like a drug addict. <laughs> and He's got kind of like this skull thing going on and he's all like, looks like a tweaker. His name's Gary Green. Does a great job in the movie. The basic blanket for the, the film is that this drug addict, low life guy gets um, his body gets taken over by an alien. Mm-hmm. And then the alien essentially sees society through his eyes. Yeah. And, and 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 what's funny is you were telling me before it's actually based on a three minute short, but you can yeah. tell these artists were probably like, 
you know, they probably they, they, they do kind of deal with societal mm-hmm. problems within it. Like they're talking yeah. about drugs and prostitution and gangs, violence and, and crime and all this type of shit. But it's seen through his eyes. And you can only imagine they probably got all wasted and thought, how fucked up would it be if an alien came to Earth and saw basically the asshole of, of society <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> through its perspective? And I, I mean, it's it's interesting because you think about like experimental film and and basically all of it is kind of they're a little disruptive they're basically like you said and just to kind of go back to tie it together you talk about like watching like hollywood stuff has become so formulaic and it's not even it's not even questioned the way they do it it's by society or by by group right like they'll Mm -hmm. sit in a room and they discuss what needs to be done and they know exactly what plot point has to do whatever and you know it it changes over time but it's it it is a formula it's not like Mm -hmm. hey it's kind of formulaic it is a formula they they almost all follow a formula yeah and what's cool about experimental films is they don't give a shit about that. And you could think historically on ones that just kind of fucked with that, even ones that didn't make our list here. Cause you made me think about it. It's like, typically they're not huge hits. There's very few mm-hmm. huge hits out of it, but they become real big cult. Like they get oh, yeah, big definitely. followings mm-hmm. because they're weird. But yeah, I, I mean, the plot of it, like I said, the plot is basically, that's essentially all it is. An alien mm-hmm. takes over basically a low life's body mm-hmm. and experiences. Like how many times does he like, bang chicks at the beginning of it just in weird scenarios like remember the the the, the second one where it's just a disturbing scene mm-hmm. <laughs> was it the the prostitute in the yeah oh it's just well I don't know. funny thing too is that like he ends up like so when they're they're representing like the section of society that he gets into a total yeah. underbelly of uh cape town I don't know if Cape Town's really like that, but it doesn't show in a very good light. But or, or at least that that small segment is very the seedy underbelly of it, and and he gets dropped off in the horniest part of uh, the town because yeah. it's constant like he's constantly like running into people in like the sex trade or like prostitutes or pimps and all these kind of people. But he was like a drug addict to begin with, so he was already in that section of society because he was a, he was a junkie. But when the when the aliens come in and first they like put something into his wang, you know, mm-hmm. like the fire in the sky experiments they do. And then they have like that one shot of just like these two, like lightning beam things going like one right into his mouth. And then the on right into the other end of him, sort of like a human centipede thing, whatever yeah. they're injected into him. But it was just, I mean, it's just crazy from the beginning the style of it's pretty cool. They do yeah. a lot of like, kind of like GoPro sort of thing. So yeah, it's constantly, say, constantly yeah. moving. You feel like you're on a drug trip when you or feel like you're tripping out when you're watching it. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like there was a couple of scenes where you can tell they had some budget into it. Like, mm-hmm, yeah. like when he first gets like his body taken over, there's some cool shots and yeah. imagery within that. But then a lot of the other stuff, it's just like they're strapping a GoPro to his head yeah. as he's walking around and, and seeing stuff. And some of it, like I don't think, I mean, I have no idea. I couldn't look it up and find it, but I don't think this is a very big budget film. Although you could tell there was like there's a handful of scenes within it that are like, well, let's put some budget here, let's put some budget yeah. there. But generally speaking fairly low i mean like 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 in a good way like there's just yeah and and what those low budget scenes enable is a grittiness to it like there's yeah. a sort of mm-hmm. gritty real feel mm-hmm. to a lot of the stuff that he's doing yeah. and it's it's disturbing in, in certain it, it is but it's also like it's disturbing but it's also pretty enjoyable because there's it's it's obvious there's a lot of creativity that went into the movie a lot of creativity and and uh spark that that went into this movie like this movie has a lot of life in it i mean mm-hmm. it's it's dirty yeah but it's got a lot of life and a lot of creativity and it keeps and it keeps moving fast doing different things and so like where the um you know so the alien just goes in and has all these different 
series of adventures, but keeps meeting kind of like new and sort of different scummy characters and, and getting, putting him in new situations. So it does not have like a very repetitive feel to it. Which, that's what really made it work for me. And it, and it moved along pretty fast for me. And, but I was really kind of like, well, this is cool. I'm, I'm seeing something when I finished watching it, I was like, I'm seeing something different here, something that I don't usually see. And that's what those experimental movies, when they work, they're like a treat because there's, there are like a few and far between. They can be a gem. Like this one, I think is, is a gem. Yeah. And I, I also like the fact that as a, if you take this road as a, mm-hmm. as a, as a filmmaker, like you don't have to make a lot of sense at times. Like, yeah. like, like the problem with say, like, cause there's a bunch of stuff and it just goes, it, it basically just, like I said, the whole idea, there's not much of a plot other than the fact that he gets taken over and goes through society and witnesses all this fucked up shit. And, and it just kind of like progresses through all that. I mean, there is a, there is a plot line. Yeah, uh, through it, but it's it's more like yeah, like you said, meeting new characters, yeah. getting involved in more fucked up stuff, <laughs> and just seeing. And I, I I know I was reading that that was their original thing, is that mm-hmm. like an alien takes over a little life and witnesses the worst of society and, and yeah. through his eyes. <laughs> yeah. But it also it's like you get you can forgive certain stuff mm-hmm. on it. It's like because if you do see a formulaic Hollywood movie and something fucks up there, all of a sudden you're going to call it out. But in, right. in, in experimental films, mm-hmm. you don't really call it out because it's an experimental film and it's it's firmly in that. I mean, it's definitely worth seeing because I, I like the, you can also tell it's like they probably sat down when they were thinking of making it. They're like, okay, let's write down five or six really fucked up scenes that we mm-hmm. want to do. Right. Like, and because, because you could tell that every once in a while there's a scene you're like, okay, this is weird. This is a crazy yeah. scene. Um, and then they just strung the, together the whole plot around these crazy encounters that the guy had. And, yeah. and it's just, it's, 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 yeah, and and I did like there were certain violence, certain violent scenes they put into it that I don't think you could get away with in in mm-hmm. other films, but here it, it kind of flies. So yeah, yeah, it flies because you're dealing with a very like um, it's a surreal sort of atmosphere they present, and you can get away with a lot more as a filmmaker for that because it's it's sort of something that's like in an alternate reality. So mm-hmm. it's sort of like you know how we're talking about with Walking Dead how they're killing zombies, and like I think part of that is maybe like people's inner desire to probably like want to kill other human beings and then get away with it. But it's still, it's, it's a different scenario. It's zombies. It's not real people. So this one is an alien. Well, as far as we know, it's, it's not real yet, but we may discover that aliens are real in their future. And it's been a lot of sightings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's pretty cool. So I think it's also worth, so basically like watching it, both of us were kind of agreed. It's like, man, it's pretty cool. You don't see a lot of stuff like this. So it's worth, I mean, it's an interesting way for filmmakers to go to, to do this kind of, shit and and so let's we were going to talk a little bit about the history of avant-garde films and then get into some uh avant-garde experimental filmmakers that are influences probably on this but on everybody and some of our favorite films within it but then also takeaways that filmmakers could take because i think it's a cool if you dive into this like, like let's keep in mind here like realistically in a way, Pulp Fiction, Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction was experimental in that it, yeah. it, mm-hmm. that it mixed up the storylines, right? Like, yeah, the first time you see it, it was overlapping storylines that you didn't really know interconnected until the very end. Like, he, Well, and what's funny about that, too, is that like when you heard him interviewed about it before, he's like, well, this is basically just like a novelistic approach to a movie. Mm-hmm. But very few movies, at least in the States that we're familiar with, had been done that way. Whereas, you know, if you're a, an author and you're doing a novel, you can do it out of context. And they do that often. They'll jump yeah, back. they do it. They do. They do it often. But. Yeah. All we're talking about with experimental film is essentially taking a different form or a different art form or a different way of doing things and applying it to film. So 
I mean, because realistically, that's where it started. I remember you and I were in film school. Like, it was quite a boring, weird thing. But, like, the avant-garde movement in film basically came out in, like, the 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. And, and in Europe, like, with Russia and Germany, when they were in sort of these depressed states, and you had artists gravitating to film and doing just weird-ass shit. Like, it was yeah. just, like, boxes and animations mixed with other shit. It was just weird, weird shit. Um, and in the States, you saw it, you know, in the forties, fifties, whatever. And one of the guys that kind of was into it, we were talking about this before we started recording, like Andy Warhol, who in the sixties mm-hmm. was a big artist. Um, he, he actually made like 50 or 60 films. None of them I believe were commercially viable, but we were joking about the one where he just recorded a guy sleeping for 10 hours yeah. and then, and then released it as a movie called sleep. And our teachers were talking about that. They're all excited about that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was excited about it. But, <laughs> what it what experimental film became was sort of like there's a narrative film that like hollywood was doing or or you would get those types but then the, the film is just film it's just a it's just a means of something so these artists were gravitating and doing weird fucked up stuff yeah and and it wasn't necessarily meant for commercial release it was just meant as these weird films because as they were trying to figure out what the system was now I would say, and I would argue, and it's got to be that the biggest, the guy who kind of broke experimental film into the mainstream and and to say mainstream is, I use it loosely, but became sort of an influential filmmaker was probably David Lynch. Yeah. uh, Who is still making films today. He's still around. He's still like raising a stink on certain stuff, but his 19, I'm going to say 75, 76. I don't know what it is, but a racer head. Um, was probably the first one that came out that was just a weird experimental film. Oh, uh, 77. 77, which is weird because George Lucas claims it as a influence, but Star Wars came out in 77 as well. So yeah. it's probably like there, there's whenever they were around. But um, I'd, so I'd say in the 70s, and the funny thing about Lynch is Lynch is an artist, right? Like he's probably primarily an artist. Like if you've actually mm-hmm. like read anything about him, like he has a studio in LA and he paints mostly and does just... Every, like everything so film to him is just an amalgamation of all of it um but like but if you look at his his filmography of the different shit he's done elephant man i think was his next one after oh, yeah. racer anthony hopkins is, yeah yeah which is awesome elephant's uh, great yeah yeah and then and then blue velvet which i loved blue velvet like there's yeah. some fucked up stuff in blue velvet yeah blue velvet's one of my favorites and also the the nick cage classic uh wild at heart and that wild was actually a little bit hard to find i mean you can you can get it off of amazon and stuff but it's not available for streaming like a lot of his other movies are yeah wild at heart is fantastic too <laughs> yeah. and he had this kind of weird and if you think about the rest of where he went uh the biggest commercial one probably was dune but dune was was a little mainstream yeah but still fucked up I would say probably he's most well known for well probably doing for the movie audience, but Twin Peaks I think is yeah. what he's mostly known. That and Blue well, Velvet. Yeah, but but I also feel probably don't bring up Blue Velvet as much. But since Twin Peaks it did do like a they did an well, additional part to it uh, a year or two ago on Showtime, they continued yeah. the storyline for it, and it was just as weird. It was actually three times as incoherent as the first Twin Peaks. The first Twin <laughs> Peaks is super weirdness, but yeah. it's it is mostly coherent. Yeah, but, but I mean, yeah, Twin Peaks is a good one where he basically created this fan base. I mean, mm-hmm. it goes to show most experimental filmmakers, and after this, we'll talk about some of the other guys. There are guys that have commercial success, but most of them become cult cult favorites. Yeah. You just have these hardcore followings, and I think back then in the seventies, eighties, like I didn't I didn't discover him obviously until film school is when I probably first discovered Lynch. But but yeah, like Twin Peaks was definitely a crossover of commercial and. Uh, 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 experimental because yeah. it was weird as shit 
And it was the first kind of like commercially successful thing I think that was in there because Dune wasn't that. I remember seeing Dune and not thinking. Yeah, Dune weird. was was kind of a miss. Yeah, and because they tried yeah. to make it more commercial yeah. and it has some weird shit like the big pulsating vagina monster that kind of has. Yeah. It, it, like, yeah. I liked it, but it didn't work as well as the book did you know but it was and it wasn't that they they tried to tone down the weirdness that he Mm -hmm. likely wanted to put into it but then twin peaks and some of the other favorites like he did lost highway and uh, yeah i and mulholland drive were two that i was going to say that that were i loved as well they were kind of horror-esque because of definitely yeah yeah, well and especially like um lost highway because the guy uh robert blake was uh was accused of killing somebody shortly after that movie came out like right around the same time. But I actually saw lost highway in the theater where I used to work at this theater called the Wilma. David Lynch used to live there for a small portion in my hometown Mm -hmm. in Missoula, Montana. And that's then that theater was where blue velvet was based on those characters were based off of. So when I was working there, there was this little theater that was like down on the very bottom and it was like a very transient area. And it was always kind of like shady area outside of it. Um, And so this is where like all like kind of the drug addicts and transients would go to, but there was a lot of like all kinds of crazy stuff that happened in the, in the building that the woman was in. So all these people live there and there's a theater. The very bottom of it was a building called uh, the chapel of the dove. And the guy who would like um, built this theater was like obsessed with doves and pigeons. And so he built this whole thing as like a shrine to doves. And it was the weirdest place to watch high well, lost highway. And it was such a bizarre movie, but it just had like the greatest feel to it. There's all these like little like weird candles around it that are like the shrine to the to the dove on there but all the like those like crazy characters that were in there is what he based uh the characters in blue velvet off like all those crazy people that were associated with dennis hopper's gang the candy colored clown all that stuff and i would go into some of those rooms and they looked like the rooms that were in blue velvet it was crazy that's pretty cool yeah no it's i mean so essentially it's like that yeah that's he kind of embodies really that experimental filmmaker thing because what he's doing he's taking just shitty likes stuff yeah. for the thing he's an artist mentality towards it and is injecting it into shit and it allows you to do weird stuff so david lynch was really the guy that that put it on the radar now here's a list that you and i kind of went mm-hmm. over of, of, of other guys uh we'll start from the the, the older ones uh stanley kubrick was definitely experimental uh, and with Cl- clockwork orange and and the shining yeah definitely for sure and yeah. clockwork orange is definitely experimental if you go back and watch it that was another favorite very horror-esque very cult cult film uh but a fantastic i mean that's the one i remember just being horrified by the one where, where they they're, they're 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 fixing them and they've got the eyes peeled back and he's yeah like, well super disturbing and super like um different experimental for the time because it focused on the villain as the main character and that's why it's so so disturbing because he's following the villains around and do they have like their own sort of like cadence the way they talk there this group it's like you're watching it's sort of like a felt like a darker version of train spotting but then at the end like you don't know like whether they're necessarily the villain or the government is because the way the government's experimenting on him but it's it's cool it's it's a great yeah even everything from the costumes from the way it's shot it's definitely you could tell Kubrick is experimental on yeah. stuff. And Shining was a little more mainstream, but still had a lot of those elements. Oh, that were yeah. Just like with the twins and the, with the carpet and like. Yeah, like a lot of long shots of like the blood. Yeah, they're thinking more artsy with it. But Kubrick up and down, even if you get into his later shit, what's the Tom Cruise one where it was. Uh, oh, Eyes uh, Wide Shut. Yeah. Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Very, very artsy, experimental mm-hmm. stuff that Kubrick was always doing um all i mean obviously shining is a classic yeah most of his stuff i guess you could say is pretty even like full metal jacket which has like a more sort of um, structural feel to it it's still split in two separate parts yeah yeah 
Yeah, it's split into two and deals with some messed yeah. up stuff. Yeah. And the way they structure it is different. It, like that, I think that's the way experimental filmmakers kind of roll is they're like, yeah, I'm not yeah. Gonna, they're basically breaking tradition and, and also are going to do some crazy shit. Now, speaking about crazy shit, the other one that I think was a big influence on me that I always loved was Terry Gilliam. Yeah, uh, he's great. Definitely experimental filmmaker. He was never, he always kind of had budget with his stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I think Kubrick and Lynch came out of nowhere, really. Like, like I think Eraserhead was like, he, he was like made for 30 grand or something like that. Uh, but Gilliam was tied with Monty Python originally. He made all those fucked up little experimental films that took mm-hmm. place in between. On, well, animations uh, in between everything. Yeah. Yeah. Little, that, that was, yeah. Very kind of like pre-South Park. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and all this funny shit. So there's a weird mind when it comes to that stuff but i think even though it's not horror like adventures of uh baron munchausen which is definitely a fucked up weird movie yeah. um time bandits my favorite time bandits is amazing <laughs> and definitely has horror elements i remember it being very disturbing but only like a like an experimental film has these just like it doesn't matter like fucking time bandits had some great shit in it like like i i like every once in a while it pops in my head the labyrinth that they're on at the end where they're making their way to the to the you know the the main bad guy at the mm-hmm. end there like the, the visuals that he was able to do and stuff it's just and the way he used to he, he thought about stuff is just kind of crazy oh and 12 yeah. monkeys 12 yeah. monkeys and fear and loathing definitely <laughs> firmly within that experimental yeah that's fisher king as well too yeah fisher king is great like yeah yeah, and if you like, so out there, if you haven't seen Terry Gilliam, or like for any up and coming filmmaker, because I know he's a little before <laughs> a lot of people's time here, but go back and watch stuff like Time Bandits and even Baron Munchausen and 12 Monkeys. 12 Monkeys is a little probably more mainstream, but the I like just the, the idea of like getting weird with, with what you're doing and making it make. I think that's for me, that was the Terry Gilliam mm-hmm. thing was like, whereas a Lynch could make no sense just because it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Gilliam had a way of making things that didn't make sense make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like it was like a weird kind of like, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense. And actually Baron Munchausen was all about that because the whole thing made no sense, but it was about making it make sense. Right. Like it was like, cause they went on that adventure and he's like, Oh, you're not really like, he's not supposed to be real. Right. Yeah. But then he is real when he goes on Eric idols in it. And then they all become who they're supposed to be at the end. Messed up stuff. Now, uh, now switching it over, there's guys currently who we would say fall into experimental, um, the one that's kind of in between Lars von Trier has been around for a while, mm-hmm. but, but like antichrist, which is one that probably sticks out most to me. Yeah. Just, just messed up stuff. Oh, and then on like, yeah. And then on like the horror side with, well, the, well that, that very much has a horror movie feel to it, but then uh house that Jack built, have you ever seen that one where Matt Dillon's a serial killer? That movie no. is extremely, um, extremely disturbing. Matt Dillon's fantastic in it, by the way, but there's, but they'll do like these, just like these long, like extended shots where he's, got people set up and he's going to execute them he's got it so that like this bullet's going to go one through through one person hit another person ricochet off and he has this whole like elaborate thing set up and you're just watching him construct this thing and you're just sort of you're going, oh my god dude this is horrible and, like when's it going to end and it just keeps going but then the, he also breaks up weird shit into like these a lot of the movie he'll just break into like newsreels of stuff of like of tragedies happening over time actually like, you know what you just, this? You just <laughs> reminded me of another one that would be the, the, another guy that we we don't have on our list here because all of a sudden he just triggered it for me is oliver stone gets a little experimental oh yeah well that's your born killers especially that's, the way that it was edited with all the different film formats and everything yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that when you just talked about that i was like yeah fuck natural born killers was very yeah. experimental they they switched from animation to yeah. black and white to video like actually i forgot how much i like natural born killers yeah oh. very 
pre-Kill Bill, like what you see, like when they put the animation sequences yeah. in it, and do a couple of different formats in there. But then Tarantino did, wrote the original version of Natural Born Killers. Yeah, it's true. That was, that wasn't, that was, the, actually, if you, it was originally done by Quentin Tarantino, had this, had the, did the screenplay. So Oliver Stone, who had this, who, who eventually picked it up, wasn't originally supposed to be done by him. And there's actually a great book called Killer Instinct, How Two Young Producers Took on Hollywood and Made the Most Controversial Film of the Decade, which is about Jane, Jane Hampshire and her producing partner uh, who picked up the rights to National Killers and made it. And the whole story about how it came to be, and it's a fantastic book, uh, came out probably in 95, right around the movie. But it's totally worth saying. But anyhow, Oliver Stone... Um, Tons of experimental stuff in there. Like, fuck it. Actually, I, National War Killers was great. I loved it. Well, plus, like, how many, all the fast cuts and everything else going back. The editing style in that movie was very unique for its time as well, too. And also uh, experimental in casting, because when they cast Woody Harrelson, he was coming out right out of Cheers as a comedic actor. Oliver mm-hmm. Stone knew that his father was a hitman. And so it, he knew that Woody Harrelson had this inner darkness and that's why he chose him. And would, and would be able to yeah. play it. And I actually think about mm-hmm. Oliver Stone, who I have mixed feelings on, because I think Oliver Stone is very experimental, but he uses, like, he's, I think he's a smart filmmaker, but he uses experimental stuff um, in, in stuff like JFK, where he actually influences people. Like, if you look at JFK, like, he was making up documentary footage and then putting the documentary footage on top of it as if it was real. You know, like, so he's very manipulative. Like, that's why he had to do, oh, that's why he had to have a lot of source corrections when he did Nixon, and that's why Nixon was a much more stale movie. Yeah, yeah, because he <laughs> yeah. is, because... a lot more Oliver restricted Stone, in that one, yeah. Yeah, Oliver Stone's a good filmmaker. He uses experimental stuff. He's, he knows all this, but he can also knows how to use it to his advantage. Yeah, for uh, sure. When yeah. it comes to stuff. So, I mean, Oliver Stone is one that I forgot about, but uh, he's done a lot of great films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and he wrote Conan the Barbarian. If Just the end, he wrote Scarface also, Conan and Scarface. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, what a time to be alive. And all the filmmakers, well, they're all kind of buddies. When, when all you have to do is go to film film school, yeah. meet, a bu- meet a bunch of guys, and they were all writing each other's shit and producing it and making a bunch of films. And, and like, they were all kind of connected because that was De Palma, you know, directing Stone's script. And Stone gave it to his other script, Emilius, who did Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. Now getting to two modern experimental yeah. filmmakers. Um, the two that we kind of came up with one Harmony Corinne um, yeah. is, is one and then and then panels yeah. but then panels Cosmetos yeah, yeah. Um, so Harmony Corinne I mean you're right I argued with you a little bit on whether or not um, <laughs> he makes uh, experimental films but yeah. you're right in a way that like kids for mm-hmm. example his, his breakthrough movie which was done on an extremely low budget um, you didn't know if it was real or not well, he wrote, yeah, that's the thing. Well, he wrote Kids when he was a teenager. And then Larry Clark directed it when I think he was 50. And then Larry Clark went to go on and make some sort of experimental movies after that. But then Harmony Corinne, when he started directing movies, he started to make extremely bizarre movies. Like he directed Gummo. And there's like these weird scenes where like he's, he's just like, kids are like running around and terrorizing crap in the South, like wearing bunny ears and like shooting their grandma on the feet with BB guns and just all sorts of weird, disturbing things. That was the, if you haven't seen Gummo. Um, I don't know if you'll like it or not, but if you're into just bizarre, random weirdness moments that go on for a while, it's pretty rewarding. <laughs> I mean, you will, you definitely will not see any other movie like that at all. And then, you know, Spring Breakers and then the Beach Bone, the Matthew McConaughey one, but he has a very, and then there was one that he did, I think it was called Julian, 
Donkey Boy and another one called Trash. Yeah, Monsters. yeah. There was uh, but, one was <laughs> but Spring Breakers was great. Yeah. Spring Breakers was great. And I mean, and it is true. I'm coming around to the whole idea on it. But it, they really were experimental in the way that he, he like. I don't think he really gave a shit about aesthetic in a way. Like mm -hmm. I think he did, but his aesthetic his aesthetic is extremely natural. Like extremely. Like there was some cool. I remember about Spring Breakers. Mm -hmm. These. These these I mean got a lot of good actresses in these in these roles. They're basically yeah. in bikinis, robbing robbing shit, gritty like is what the fuck am I watching type 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 of type of thing, right? And and yeah, it was and there's some great characters in Spring Breakers too, and it got it got again it got violent mm. and and there's something about violence for me anyhow that when you have that sort of aesthetic that's like whether it's GoPro or just natural and gritty, mm -hmm. and then you add a violence on top of it, it just, it, it, for me, it resonates that much more. Like yeah, there was a couple yeah. scenes in Fried Berry where it was like that, where I was like, if they had done this, like, you know, on a Hollywood style color, you mm -hmm. know, color corrected, it did everything. It's not going to have the impact. Right. It's true. But, yeah. But because it's just basically yeah. looks like it could have been done on my phone. Mm -hmm. It has more impact. Right. Yeah. Remember James Franco in that movie? He's like, this is my shit. This yeah. is my shit. It's my uh, shit. And he just kept saying it over and over again. Yeah. And he's based on uh, uh, that real character <laughs> of the, the Miami. Um, was it like uh, some kind of like white region. rapper guy or something? Yeah, he's or a white yeah. rapper. Is a, is yeah. a, and and the, he, he kind of got big after. So then the, the, and the last guy, Panos Cosmatos. And I actually. Yeah. So the funny thing is, is Panos broke on the scene with uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Mm -hmm. And the guy who produced it is a friend of mine. Yeah. And so I know a lot of the backstory behind it. So like like Panos, his dad is George Cosmatos, who did some of the biggest uh, I Hollywood. mean three of the greatest movies ever made, which is Rambo Part Two. Yeah, well, Rambo Ram First Blood Part Two. Uh then also Tombstone and, and mm -hmm. Cobra. And Cobra. Three, like three, <laughs> and, and and you couldn't get more studio mm -hmm. than than those three at the time, yeah. right? So anyhow, I mean, tragically, Panos is uh all his, both his parents are dead. I mean, he lives up here. He's he lives in BC. Yeah. Um, but he gets the residuals from the from the movies, right? Because he's the the, the that's where he gets that's where he gets his money, and uh, so he had wanted to. He had this film Beyond the Black Rainbow in his head forever, but he knew. Like you talk about avant garde and experimental. If you haven't seen Beyond the Black Rainbow, again, this is an acid trip of a movie. Like the whole the whole idea of it is to like feel like you're on some sort of drug trip i watched it and i felt like i was just like and it has sort of like a clinical feel to it but then if you're if you're like in a, in a controlled room and somebody's doing a study on you on drugs and like a doctor is doing a study on, you on drugs or whatnot they're manipulating the lighting and everything so you feel like you're just in a trance and then like the music sort of pulsating in it and you just you get you get locked in like you become sort of zombified when you're watching this that's a really yeah. cool effect that that movie has to it yeah and so apparently the interesting thing about it is he knew every scene part and piece and actor that he wanted mm -hmm. down to a t and he was unwavering on each and every last piece of it like down yeah. to the shots and the colors and everything it was all in his head and he wanted to get it done and um which is pretty cool and he was able to do all that because he financed it himself like he mm -hmm. wasn't borrowing money he just he so so when 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 they did it it was it, it was exactly this is what's in my head and mm -hmm. this is what I want on screen, yeah. which I mean, you're not going to get when you have investors or you have people bringing on money. You're going to get this pushback sometimes on on like what's going to go out there. Like, well, if I'm investing in this, I, I want it. You need to make it more commercial. He didn't give a shit. He yeah. literally made this movie as if like, I don't care if one person sees it, but it's going to be the movie that's in my head. And so yeah. when you know that and go watch it, it's like, what what the fuck am I watching? And 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 it is. And now the, the funny thing about about him is his follow up to that is 
just as awesome, if not more awesome, which is Mandy with Nick Cage. And of yeah. course, of course, Nick Cage has to come up in all this shit because Nick Cage is awesome and does lots of experimental shit. But Mandy is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And Mandy has like, well, Mandy's got more of like a heavy metal sort of, um, well, it's cool. It has it has more like a heavy metal sort of fantasy sort of feel to it. So it's like Nick Cage's girlfriend gets uh, attacked by this this cult. And then Nick Cage in the second half of the movie is where the cage rage happens. I'm still waiting to see a Nick Cage movie where it's cage rage throughout the entire movie. But most of these movies, like, uh, you know, like Mom and Dad, Willie's Wonderland. Well, actually, Willie's Wonderland was kind of more throughout. About 20 minutes in, he's killing animatronic puppets. But anyways, Mandy is extremely like atmospheric and has like it does like these inner titles in it that have like fonts that look like a Stephen King novel. And then they do like these fantasy backgrounds. And then when Nick Cage is going in, they're attacking this biker gang. They look like demons and stuff. But it's just but it has that same sort of uh, pulsating score to it and that trance effect to it, but with more like a heavy metal feel, which is great. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 awesome. Like it's, I prefer Mandy. Like Black Rainbow is was it's it's a slow movie, but it is, it does work as far as like a trance. And it's a really, it's a really effective and well-made movie, but it is, feels like a lot more slow to me. I get into Mandy more than if the Black you want to see experimental yeah. film in the modern age, it's yeah. beyond the black rainbow. Like, yeah, if, well, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Even if it came out 10 years ago, but it, yeah. it's got definite horror elements yeah. and it's definitely got uh sci-fi. It's got fuck just about everything in it, but you're right. It's not fast paced. Like it's a mind fuck. Like there's certain yeah. things you're watching and you're almost in your head. Like, Oh my God, hurry up. Like, like it doesn't have Nick like, cage attacking yeah. demons. Like, yeah. Like Whereas Mandy, yeah. Mandy yeah. has this beginning. It's very yeah. kind of trippy because that, that gang or whatever shows mm-hmm. up. Right. And they get all fucked up on drugs mm-hmm. and they have this weird thing. Of course, you feel like you're on drugs while it's happening and they do this weird subtitles and all that type of shit. But it ends of course with, with Nick cage going full fucking cage rage and and awesome like top i'm going i'm going right below face off with crazy nick cage oh yeah uh, like it's just amazing so that's kind of nick cage puts the entire bottle of vodka on him and in him yeah oh (laughs) yeah again uh, if you're out there and you're looking for inspiration and, and you feel that this these type of films might be in you i i i encourage either beyond the black rainbow and especially Mandy, but some of these other ones, like there there's, I love these type. I mean, I love these type of movies cause they're just like weird shit just, that makes you kind of think what the fuck is just kind of like, well, I just like it because cool. you're watching something new and like uh, yeah. the regular movies or most of what you see is so sort of cookie cutter and stale that even if like these experimental movies don't work, I respect what they're trying to do. Like, yeah. like, like you were saying, like he, was like, no, I got to have like my vision and I'm not going to change it. That's something that whenever something becomes Hollywoodized, it always becomes super stale. It's the opposite. It yeah, it's the opposite. Yeah, it's the opposite. So so it's a good segue because now we can talk. We're going to say those are some of the filmmakers in there. And I would encourage anyone oh. to go look at any of those types, those those filmmakers and the shit that they've done. But then now let's talk about some of the experimental films, like some of our favorite films within it. And, and going right to there, I mean, I had on the okay. top of my list was Beyond the Black Rainbow and Man mm-hmm. or two that I recently have seen and I thought were fantastic. Um, so we just covered off those. But um, one that is not covered by any filmmaker there is Altered States. That's true. The Ken Russell. Yeah. I mean, and, and anytime you get into this and I, I could you could probably go down a bit of a wormhole and stuff. But Altered States is and it's been a long time since I've seen it. But essentially, they go into a, dep- uh, a sensory deprivation tank yeah. mm-hmm. and are taken to like a different. <laughs> like it changes their state right oh, yeah, they, yeah. Well, if i remember it's like they're taking drugs they go into the or something and then they go into the tank and it kind of changes their shit right 
Yeah, and uh, the sensory depri- deprivation then is like, remember when he's becoming the, the creature towards the end? And yeah. Like his face is sort of like phasing and then it's turning into something else. But yeah, it's it's a total like drug trip movie. Yeah, that one. And also, um, uh, forgot to mention, uh, I mean, we're missing out a, quite a bit of people here oh, because yeah. because we're just sort of, we're just sort of touching on like some of the most more ones that people may have heard of or that we're familiar with experimental movies but there's a guy named alejandro jodorowsky oh right yeah uh, he did the holy mountain which is one of the most bizarre movies that you'll ever see and then uh the other guy who i want to mention is yorgos lanthimos which made a movie called dog tooth which is about these uh, parents Mm -hmm. that won't let the kids leave the house it is so insanely bizarre and then a movie with colin farrell called the lobster which is great but about like a guy who like if he doesn't get married all the single people don't get married they turn them into animals they're on this like island and they turn and then they turn them into animals if they don't get married. And so he gets turned into a lobster. And then there's another one called the killing of a sacred deer, which is super disturbing. That one you can find on almost any platform, but all these ones um, are great to watch, have a super different feel. What I like about his movies is that he has like, it's not like he's got like these comic touches in the movie, but it's still disturbing throughout, but he doesn't make a complete decision about like whether to make it a comedy, the comedy is awkward in it, but it works. And he sort of does it in a straightforward manner, but he does that like uniquely on um, almost like no other filmmaker does, which I like a lot about him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those are, I forgot. Those were two that we, we had talked about there before. I mean, it covers off almost all the movies that you get through. And I mean, if if this is something you're interested, I think Altered States was is is one that was outside there. Clockwork Orange. If you haven't seen a Clockwork Orange, I would definitely put that up there as an experimental film you need to watch. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow and Mandy, um, Blue Velvet. If you want to see, kind of go back to the original kind of messed up shit. Um, the other one, like Terry Gilliam, like one that's kind of more accessible might be like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily a horror, but it's definitely experimental. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I mean, Antichrist, if you're really into the messed up stuff from Von Trier is, 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 is right there. I mean, that, we, we've got, we've covered off a lot of different uh, experimental films here. And I think unless there was there any any other films that you wanted to talk about because i think oh i'm sure i'm still there i'm sure there's stuff that i'm forgetting but yeah. uh but th- that's just basically like a broad kind of like covering of experimental movies what i think well, what i think that i did want to talk about is that like a lot of movies um they'll do these you know they'll go to like these insane lengths to describe like like what's happening in the background or like what's going on in the movie or the atmosphere and a lot of these experimental movies leave that out like what's sort of the purpose of the movie what's the theme of the movie what's happening and David Lynch even says, he goes, well, that's for the audience to decide. He's like, I may have my own interpretation of it, but I'll never tell you what it is. And that's what works about experimental Actually, movies that's like very, this. That's a very good takeaway. I mean, I think like as we're sort of like, you know, I wanted to kind of end on sort of takeaways that filmmakers might be able to or film fans might be able to look at and think about when they're watching this shit. And one is that you're right. They're, they're experimental in a way that they, they're, it's not defined, Like they're, mm-hmm. they're not really defined. And if you look at all of them, because almost all of these guys come from like a really artist background and they think yeah. about interpretation and they want to leave it up to you, the audience. And, and that's right. That's Lynch's way. It was like, this is how I, this is what I think, but that what it doesn't matter what I think. It's what you think and how you take it away. And so many of these films are like that. It's like, I'm going to just throw a bunch of random shit in front of you. It's meant to be provocative. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, whatever you get out of it is great and and it, it is cool that they strip out like because you'll see like i can't count how many times you'll watch it like uh like uh something i'm watching where they do it quite a bit although i don't mind it is what jupiter's legacy on, on netflix right now yeah. I'm, I'm getting through it but they try to make sure they're explaining every little last thing about it like oh the reason we're doing this is because of this oh let me do the backstory on this and, they're, and, they're, and i mean they're doing a cool thing where they're interweaving the backstory and the current story 
but but that's very hollywood to make sure that every box is ticked like mm -hmm. like like oh we said this we better go back and explain right. why whereas in an experimental movie they don't even give a shit like you just like i'm gonna throw out a bunch of stuff if there's a uh you know like on oh, this scene like if you look at beyond the black rainbow it makes zero sense that the doctor's right. driving a delorean yeah. like he drives a delorean yeah. up there but it's like no he was adamant it has to be a delorean why i don't know because he had to drive a delorean it's fucking if futuristic you take, like the if you take like the version of so rob zombie's first movie house of a thousand corpses is pretty experimental because yeah. it's like a roller coaster ride just a Actually, bunch of weird rob, stuff happening they're yeah. going to like a they meet like the clown at the gas station and the fried chicken and the gasoline and the liquor and then yep. They go on this, uh, it's like got like some of the horror movie tropes, but then it, it's essentially like a, a haunted house, like roller coaster ride. And what's funny about Rob Zombie is, and I love Rob Zombie, both, uh, I've actually seen him live a couple of times. But oh, he's like, fantastic uh, live, yeah, yeah, yeah. As a musician and yeah. as his films. But what's really cool is he did all his own music videos, right? Yeah. And if, and if you look at his music videos, they're very experimental. They're, oh, yeah. They're, they're, mm -hmm. they're like... He's always using like green screens, but but like to the point where it looks like old school films. He loves original old school films. He's injecting all that shit into it constantly with weird creatures and stuff. He's definitely into experimental stuff. And if you look at House of a Thousand Corpses, that's definitely in there. But he seems to get out of it later on. Mm -hmm. Like even if you look at Devil's Rejects and right. and, um, and uh, Three from Hell, they're a little more mainstream than than, than the original. Yeah, Which is interesting. Devil's but, Rejects, uh, I think, was the best marriage between like a mainstream movie and his experimental stuff. Yeah. Um, but like when you go into like the Halloween ones, when you try to explore explain the origin of Michael Myers, that's why John Carpenter is like, I don't like this version of it because he goes, the thing that's cool about Michael Myers is you don't really know like where his evil comes from. And yeah. since it's not explained, it makes it more of a mystery and it makes it more effective, you know? That's true. And even, even, even Friday the third, if you look at classic killers, which mm -hmm. of course, Michael Myers is in the top five, you know, for sure. Freddie, Jason, they all have an explanation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Michael Myers was kind of the one that he's just, he's just evil. Like, and yeah. even, even in the original Halloweens, he talked about just being evil, which is cool. And, and so, you mean, so the long and short is about this, when you look at experimental films, I mean, the, I, that is a really good takeaway is that you don't have to explain everything sometimes mm -hmm. like you don't 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 overthink it like just have it exist like there's a lot of things you can do and experimental films definitely do that they don't want to explain shit they want you to interpret it and do whatever you want and i think that's a that's a that's a good takeaway that these guys come from an artist background and they don't really care to say hey i really got to tie a bow around this story they're like it's fucking this is a snippet this is a piece and this is also some of my shit from my head that i'm going to puke out at you and you tell me what you think and that's what also thinks I think gives a movie longevity too, because if you see a movie that's similar to what you've seen a million times before, it's like, you may remember it that week, but you won't again, but things like this that come out and they may not do too well when they first come out and they develop this big cult audience is because mm -hmm. people are keep talking about them, keep debating about it. You remember the debate about what was in the briefcase and Pulp Fiction, how long people yeah. talked about that. And that actually by doing less, by explaining less, it gives it more power. That's very true. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. And you look back on some of the other ones, like, like Twin Peaks is still being talked about now. Mm -hmm. And it's because it was so fucking weird. And, and I, and I think if you look at it, I mean, I think people need to think about that for sure. It's like the less you explain, like if you, if, if you can do a good job on getting a film out there and there's, and there's questions left after to be answered, it's going to create a debate. It's going to get people talking. Like you want to, like you want to talk about it afterwards or, or I interpreted it one way and you interpret it another way. Like you're right. Now that I think about it, like we, we mentioned Tarantino earlier on because he, he, he did something experimental with Pulp Fiction, but he does that in a lot of films where he puts stuff in there. That's not necessarily answered. And, and that's like, 
or random scenes that are just mm-hmm. meant to be there. Like he injects those things, mm-hmm. those just kind of weird pieces into it, which gets people thinking. And you think about a lot of these films, like I now thinking about that, because I love 12 Monkeys, mm-hmm. which um which uh which we mentioned earlier. Like, fuck, it's just it's just weird shit. And it, it poses questions afterwards when you leave a film and think. Well, why did he do that or, or or whatever? I think it's a good, important takeaway for filmmakers. But I also think you can't go half in on this. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> right. You're either experimental or you're not experimental. That's right? true. So the, the ones that don't work are the, the ones that kind of like I was mentioning before, for me at least, are too repetitive or too kind of boring. But if you're going to go through like without explaining anything and just taking people on the visual ride or taking people on just a different take, the more that that feels like it's being committed to, the better it works for me as an audience member. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think you got to go all in. You can't put in like a Tarantino knows where to put his pieces in, but they tend to fit and uh, like right. and, and they've become like Tarantino esque. Like you call it, he's got these scenes that he injects in there. But if you go up and down, like that Terry Gilliam movie is never going half assed on its weirdness. <laughs> it's true. Right? Like that's absolutely yeah. From the opening scene to the ending scene, it's good. He's he's going mm-hmm. all in on that stuff. And I think if you look at all these filmmakers, um. From, Kubrick, Lynch, Von Trier, Harmony Corinne, all of them, that, that, that is the case. From the opening scene to the end scene, mm-hmm. they're going all in on whatever it is yeah. they're mm-hmm. trying to do in there. And I think you got to do that. But it also, I think it's risky probably because like say mm-hmm. when you're trying to sell a Definitely. movie, yeah. if, like if you're trying to write or sell a movie or raise money or whatever, and if you're a little fucking weird about it, uh, yeah, you're probably gonna people who don't understand that world are probably gonna be like, oh, geez, what? Like he wants to, you know, do a Sasquatch movie from the from the eyes of the Sasquatch, and we're gonna see it for like like whatever it might be, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's gonna be a little weird. But if you are successful in bringing it out there, you these are these are the ones that become cult movies. They're yeah. the ones that become cult classics. And like I don't think any anything anything we listed here is probably still being watched today. Like they're not yeah. they're they're not being buried. Like you know. Fuck, if you think about how many millions of films are out there. Oh, look at all the midnight buried. screenings that are going to be resurging. Uh, that were basically before COVID, but will we'll be resurging again of Eraserhead and all those movies like that. Yeah, yeah. and we're talking about all these ones. Like the people like Mandy, on, big time midnight screening movie. Yeah. Yeah, we'll still come up. Beyond the Black mm-hmm. Rainbow still get screenings, right? Like, and, yeah. and now we're actually, I, I was I was weird to look at it and think it's 12 years old now. Uh, uh, like, but it will, it still gets talked about, still gets screenings. And I, I guarantee you, you look up and down the list of the ones we're talking about, they still get seen. So I think that would be my, uh, pitch to any filmmakers or fans out there that are into this space is I like give experimental films and avant-garde films a chance, go look at the films of these guys that we've mentioned here. Uh, and it'll open up a world of like, like, cause once you go down of like a David Lynch wormhole, you'll not be like, oh, what else is down there? Because yeah. they are really cool, and hopefully it gives people ideas. Because it, when you see fried berry, to tie, tie it all the way back to the beginning, when you see fried berry, you realize it's like fuck, that was fresh. Like something that was fresh. It's not another just scripted, tailor-made, formulaic film. It's something different and new, and it made us think like, Christ, yeah, we need more of this because there's not a lot. Yeah, of it. absolutely. Yeah. So there you go. That's my final take on it. We need to see more experimental, weird shit. Yeah. All right. Do you have anything else to add then? Yes, as an experimental uh, ending to the show, remember, the sea is for fish and the sky is for sharks. <laughs> if you haven't seen Sky Sharks, <laughs> you got to go check it out. All right, until next week then. All right, yeah.